Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rob Burton here. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference, uh, the Center of Excellence for Crisis Management Professionals. Uh, Our annual membership fee is just $99 and you get access to a ton of information as well as discounts on our annual conference, professional training courses, and much more. Go to crisisconferences.com for more details and we're excited um, with the conferences coming up um, in June uh, in a couple of months time here, six weeks now. Um, okay, on to the episode today, 118 of the PreparedX podcast, and today is uh, all about uh, technology and incident management, and I'm joined today by Timothy Cohen. Welcome, Timothy. Thanks for having me, Rob. Happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and so just before we jump in, Tim, I'd love to hear from you, and our, our audience would probably love to hear from you a little bit about Tim and uh, and your career so far. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, So I've been in the uh, security and crisis management space for 15 plus years. Um, I spent my first uh, nine to 10 years working for a uh, security and international risk management solutions provider. Um, So working with a lot of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies um, in intelligence, uh, travel risk management, crisis response, uh, and leading up our GSOC operations there before I left. Uh, Then I spent a couple years being an emergency manager and business continuity manager at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. Um, Luckily, I started there. We got hit by wildfires and the pandemic hit right after that. Um, So my (laughs) entire existence at at Stanford was just the pandemic. Um, And then I moved on uh, when I transitioned back from California to to here in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, to Twilio, who's my current company, um, where I'm the manager of corporate incident management at Twilio. for your listeners, just so they understand Twilio a little bit better, um, and let me just preface that I'm talking out of my own opinion and sure. not necessarily on on behalf of the company. Of course, yep. Um, but Twilio is a cloud communications platform as a service. So what that means is that Twilio provides SMS, voice, video, email, all of these services a platform for these services for businesses to use in their own services and products, mainly applications through the use of APIs. Um, so some examples of that might be you go to a restaurant, right? And they tell you, yeah, you we'll send you a set SMS when you- um, Your table's table, ready. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Or, you know, which is probably relevant to a lot of your audience is that our platform powers a lot of the um, emergency um, notification systems. So yep. the SMS that come out when you have- you know, a mass notification, a lot of them are being powered by the Twilio platform. So uh, we also work with a lot of NGOs, um, American Red Cross, um, doing a lot of different ser- uh, services for them as well. Um, so I just wanted to provide a little context to, around Twilio because we're one of those things that if you're like a software developer, you know Twilio, but if you're not, you might not know us because we're kind of in the background of a lot of technology. 
Yeah, that's great, uh, great framing that out. I think as well, of course, you know, as it relates to protecting that infrastructure, right, uh, and reacting to the threats that uh, you're faced with, um, of, of course, you know, you're in a good position to, of course, uh, provide some of your experience and, of course, be beyond um, what you're doing uh, today. Um, so let's jump into it then. Um, can you provide an overview, really, of what, and, you know, we have a certain levels of, um, you know, our listeners here, some are coming into the industry, some are seasoned pros, if you will, and then uh, everyone in between. So can you talk a little bit about an incident uh, manager at a technology company and how that may have evolved over the recent years based on, you know, rapid development of technology uh, and other, um, you know, related tools and resources? Yeah. So the role of my my team and myself as the leader of that team for corporate incident management at Twilio is prim primarily focused on what we refer to as enterprise level incidents. Um, some people might refer to these as crises. Um, they're not all crises. Right. Uh, there's different uh, gradations to an incident that's an enterprise level impact. Um, so primarily, we we are focused on four main things in my in my company. Um, excuse me, on my team. Um, one is life safety is paramount. So any yep. life safety events you know, we're, we're protecting our employees, um, platform availability. So that's a huge thing because our customers rely upon our platform to constantly be available. So we have to make sure that we maintain platform, um, availability. Uh, the other thing is our reputation and our brand. Sure. Um, you know, that's a huge part to every crisis manager, um, incident manager as well as protecting the brand and the reputation and, and maintaining that trust of those customers. And then also financial viability, making sure that our business operations are, are continuing. So how we do that is our company has a lot of incident response functions throughout the business. Mm -hmm. uh, these are what your tactical teams, you know, in cybersecurity, you have a cybersecurity incident response team. Yep. Uh, in engineering, you have an engineering incident command team uh, mm -hmm. that deals with those. Those are the tactical level teams in those different business functions. And my team acts as the highest level of escalation above them. So their job is to handle the incidents, triage them at a level, determine a severity rating. And then we have pre-established triggers and thresholds with these teams that because there's an enterprise-wide impact that is not contained to their specific business function, they escalate up to us. And as part of our my job and uh, my team's job is we hold the keys to the corporate crisis management team, yep. uh, that entire infrastructure here. So along with um, our crisis leader uh, specific to that event or that incident, whatever it might be, um, we enact our crisis corporate crisis management team and we lead them um, through the incident, you know, from its start to its uh, resolution and into the after action process. Right. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say to answer the second part of your question, how that has evolved over the years. Um yeah, I think it's interesting because my company went from a large startup to a mature company over the pandemic, uh, primarily because everybody was forced to be home. So right. every company was digitizing everything they did, right? So, yep. you know, you had to be able to get a hold of your customers because they were at home. They weren't coming into your stores. They weren't doing all these things, right. um, which changed our role a lot because we were very much a planning preparation function before that, you know, getting plans in place, running exercises, um, dealing with longer term, you know, pandemic response was one of those things. But it, as we got more services, as we got more customers, um, as our profile grew as a company, the risk increased. And that's sure. where our, our, uh, our function kind of grew into what it is today as a, you know, corporate incident management function where we're handling incidents that are um, being escalated from across the company. 
Sure. Great. Uh, appreciate the uh, context there. Um, uh, moving on then in terms of the types of incidents that, uh, you know, um, you know, not just you, not just your organization or what you've dealt with in the past, but, um, you know, other types of scenarios that are common uh, in this day and age that you, you know, seem to be either responding to or, 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 you know, at least preparing for what, what would they be and what kind of mitigation strategies do you have? And uh, how do you work around those? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's often a little bit of a misconception because people talk about technology companies um, kind of as a as a monolith, but there's a spectrum. Um, you know, for example, the FANG companies people refer to, which is like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Google, um, now Meta and, and Alphabet. But right. um, those ones actually like act much more like your, your typical old corporate giants, right? They have vast data centers, you know, physical presence facilities. Yeah. Julio, on the other hand, we are a remote first company. We have a very f- small office footprint and a distributed remote workforce. And we are remote force moving forward as well as like that is when people are hired, they're going to be remote. Right. Um, so that there's a different dynamic. But I think there are ultimately several types of incidents that are very common across technology companies that that incident managers at these companies have to deal with on a regular basis. Um, and I think those are first and foremost is like engineering incidents, the infrastructure that these companies and the products and services they're providing are very much, um, they deal with product and service out- outages, degradations. Those are major incidents because if your platform's not available, and especially if you're B2B, you know, you're, they're not able to work with their customers to get it yep. done and, you know, get the services they need to. Um, so it's really critical uh, to handle those incidents. I think cybersecurity obviously is one of those things where, you know, the more we have in the cloud, the more infrastructure we have, um, and cybersecurity is constantly evolving, malware, ransomware, um, it is, you know, phishing and vishing campaigns, all these things. And then also for those that actually have a platform as well, it's the fraud and misuse of that platform as well. It's a big thing, right? You know, you hear a lot about Facebook and the social media companies that are dealing with it, but a lot of other companies have a platform of some kind. So they're very much focused on fraud and misuse. But, and another one that is merging that is, is being talked about and dealt with is a lot about um, compliance and regulatory compliance. You've probably seen, you know, talks about section 230, you know, government efforts to reduce robocalls, robotechs, things yep. like that, um, calls for bans on platforms like TikTok on national security events. So those are the incidents that are uh, the types of incidents and the type of uh, risks that are emerging that are really affecting technology companies now and are the you know prime concerns of incident managers. Sure. Um, in, moving on now, in, t- in terms of um, managing incidents, um, now, we often, I mean, it's the day and age that we live in where there's, there's more than one thing happening at any one time. Uh, and so, you know, as an incident manager, you've got to prepare yourself to manage multiple events. Uh, can you share some examples and best practices, uh, best practices that uh, you implement in terms of, you know, effectively managing and triaging, you know, multiple incidents? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important from the outset to understand that you know, we live in an increasingly VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So those are the things, the environment we currently live in. Um, so as such, you're going to not only be dealing with one scenario at a given time, you know, you're not lucky enough to just deal with a natural disaster or a cybersecurity incident. So you're often going to be uh, looking at a variety of issues that could happen at once. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me off the bat is, um, for you to have a plan, you know, certain organizations have 
a span of a control was much larger. If you have a large organization, you have plenty of you can handle multiple incidents. But my team is mm. smaller, um, so we have to have a plan that is flexible and scalable um, to multiple incidents. And I think the the first thing that's a part of that plan and helps you prioritize and being able to handle multiple incidents is understanding your stakeholders. Right. So you know, going into it pre-planning, okay, what are my stakeholders? You know, who have the interests in um, my company? So is it employees, customers, investors, the media, even our competitors? Right. All of these are stakeholders, right? And and understanding what the value proposition that these stakeholders provide and what their core concerns are. Uh, I think that's really important because as you have multiple incidents, for example, if I have a you know, a product that goes down and it's causing, you know, outage for hundreds of customers or thousands of customers, um, that's that has long-term ramifications on our business and the right. viability of the business because it can lead to, you know, issues with all those stakeholders I just mentioned. Um, compared to, a, at the same time, I have a fraud and abuse incident that is maybe affecting one or two customers. Yes, they're having a hell of a time dealing with it, um, but I have to put my resources towards it. I think that's one of the things um, how you have to prioritize based upon stakeholder. And the second aspect really for me is knowing your company. Cause I think this is one thing and having a partnership with your business continuity and disaster recovery teams and organizational resiliency as a, as a combined team, or even if you're not in the same departments, because it's not everywhere, it has that all together. Right. They understand the business better than anybody. Sure. They understand mission critical functions, dependencies, as we get it, increasingly interconnected with technology, they understand which system is dependent on another system. And if one single point of failure goes down, what else is gonna go down? And the potential impact of this on the business, that's able to help you more effectively triage and ascertain the issue. And then once you have those two things together, I think the most effective tool that I've found is setting up a detailed assessment form or checklist that you need to utilize when an incident comes in and your team needs to. And this this checklist, you know, the one, how we do it is kind of, you set it up into different categories, but depending on incident type, severity, impact, stakeholders affected, those type of things. It forces your brain to start assessing the incident critically, right? In order to ascertain the proper response required. And then you can if you have multiple of these happen at the same time, you can say, okay, this is priority one, this is priority two, sure. we're going to allocate resources. And I also think it helps that systematic thinking reduces the intrusion of cognitive biases, right? Like we're not getting anchored or framed or having confirmation bias right. um, because we're yep. having to go through this list of things before we do that. Yeah, I like that. And having some flexibility there as well, of course, because not every everyone's scenario can be mapped out the same, right? So, but I love the I love the checklists. Um, I love the quick, re- we were talking about it yesterday um, with a um, a plan that we're updating for a client of ours. And and we were talking about, you know, a nice document, obviously, you know, serves a purpose, uh, but really, you know, we, we need to get, uh, you know, something up front that's a quick reference guide where the team can come and go, what's my first 30 minutes look like, right? What are these, what are these first you know and again they can then you know move into a little bit deeper area of the plan for those checklists and, and go a little bit deeper but you know really to get going right and not not be the deer in the headlights so to speak um because you know not everyone's going to be front and center you may not be available you may have to have someone come in for your to back up for your role um and so we, we do like those checklists and then certainly uh, that quick reference guide or whatever whatever you want to call it up front just to get you know get get motivated and get the team moving in those first few moments and become organized really in those first few moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I've learned with with making plans is that 
you can have the details in an appendices, right? If that right. people want to go in there and get into the details, right. you can have yep. that. But you know, give the bluff up front, get there, you know, so they get the information, especially people tactically on the ground, right? If sure. you're having, you know, yeah. if you're doing an emergency action plan on the ground for, you know, an office, yeah. you know, the security guard or whoever's leading is the incident commander on site. You know, they can't go through a 30 page document. That, on that's right. Yeah. They need a yeah. short checklist that they can just check off who I need to contact, you right. know, who I need to be accountable for so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, okay, mo- moving on then. I know there's a uh, you know a, a big communication requirement when these events unfold, um, and of course, you know, having those partnerships, the stakeholders, both internally and externally, you know, are critical. So, how do you ensure transparency and maintain trust while managing expectations as it relates to um, you know working both internally and externally with your communication partners? Yeah, I think this is a uh, a huge question. And I think it's constantly comes up when we're dealing with incidents and managing them. Communication, both internally and externally, is the backbone of our response to any incident. You know, our goal is to be thoughtfully transparent with minimum delay. That's what we follow is that, um, you know, that means communicating internally, immediately and frequently with critical decision makers and stakeholders. So that means that once you enterprise level impact, you're you're talking to your executives, you're making sure the right people are aware, um, you know, but it's also first understanding who those critical decision makers and stakeholders are, like I talked about before, and then what information needs to be provided them during an incident. I think there's often this pitfall in crisis management where some people assume, or incident management, where they assume they know what executives or other key stakeholders want to know instead Mm -hmm. of taking the time to engage with them and get insight into their thought process. Because not all of them process information the same way. Some are visual learners. Some will like to read. You could have a dashboard that they they can access all the time, whatever it may be. And I think it's it often seems daunting for especially entry level pro- professionals coming into it to go to a C suite level person and sure. engage with them to get yeah. their input. But my experience has always been that that short lived discomfort will be well worth it in the end. Um, and you know the other aspect of it, right, is the thoughtfully transparent aspect of it. And what do I mean by that, right? That's you know being transparent means two things in and you know how we go about doing and how I look at things candor and speaking with empathy and respect. I think there's often a misconception that our stakeholders, you know, employees, customers, the public in general, are unable to handle the truth. You know, yeah, right. that they, they will, the full truth, um, because it'll be too hard for them to get and they won't understand the details, you know, especially when you're talking about technology, right? Like, right. you know, they, well, no, it's too, too much in the weeds. They won't understand it. It'll be too much, um, you know, but I think in my experience, stakeholders prefer forthright communication, right? You know, that doesn't mean it has to be callous or, or you know, um, it has to be overly technical in sure. nature, yeah. right? But it should be crafted with intention and sincerity. And I think right. that's really important, all communications, not just externally from a public relations standpoint, but also internally to your sure. own employees. You know, they know your company, they understand. So if you're telling them about a threat or you're telling them about an incident and what its impacts or exposure is going to be for them, you know, to 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 speak with intention and sin- sincerity to them. Um, you know, something else that goes along with that is, you know, reestablishing trust by explaining what you're doing, you know, both during it and after the incident to resolve it, right? So not just saying, hey, the incident's mitigated, we've taken care of it, it's over, but also understanding that you have to have a pro- proper after action post-incident review process identify the lessons learned, and then communicate those actions you're taking internally and externally to remediate those issues. I think, you know, but the big thing is going back to the, you need to know your stakeholders and those critical decision makers when you're talking about communications from the start, because 
you know, it, there's always going to be new ones that come up that you didn't anticipate, but right. you should at least have those core stakeholders and their concerns addressed every time you're communicating. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And then, and the part of the crisis comms planning piece as well. We we often like to kind of get together with the you know that cross functional team to talk about you know some of the stakeholders that they may have that you may not know about if you're the crisis coordinator or the incident manager, right? So going a little bit deeper and understanding you know what the concerns would be, and then and then you know we like to see in some of the plans as well um, certainly a register of those critical stakeholders, right, and the relationships uh, between uh, those different groups. So very quickly, you can get a sense of who needs to be coordinated with and communicated with uh, from the early from the outset. So that's good. Good to hear. Good stuff. Um, okay, Tim. M- moving on. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from past incidents and that's helped you improve uh, your incident management process? And then continuously, of course, uh, refine and adapt to the ever changing uh, landscape that uh, you're involved in. Yeah, I think. Um... One of the major lessons I've taken away over the past uh, several years and the various incidents that I've dealt with is that you definitely, I mean, clearly defining roles and responsibilities, especially when it comes to decision making, is critical. Uh, Ambiguity during response is the death knell, right? It's going to cause delay. Um, You know, I, I think. Oftentimes, especially a technology company, when you're looking at complex issues, maybe not only technology, but could it be a manufacturing, oil and gas infrastructure, there's technical expertise that is involved in it. And I think oftentimes that technical expertise can get, and decision-making tied to it, can get mired in it, right? It, yeah. it It's often like, well, we don't understand it. We need to understand it better. Um, and that the decision-making gets really um, muddied there. And then that causes delay. And then your stakeholders get upset. Um, and it also, it, it, we just talked about communications, but I think this is also one of those places where it often happens because especially with external stakeholders, um, but also internal stakeholders, is that everybody wants to get involved in the process. Right. You know, they want to have a comment or they want to editorialize right. on uh, right. communications and yeah. you know have an interest in it and make sure that they're interested in things. And I think you really need to make an effort to drive a policy from the beginning that sets out, you know, you have your crisis management team, you have your leaders, how it is, how they're going to report up, but also down to that communications, that crisis communications lead, understanding if it's a blog or if it's whatever media statement, who's going to draft it, who's reviewing it, who's approving it, you know, and very clearly, because you can refer back to this and say, hey, we had this pre-approved that this is the process and no one else should really get involved in it because it's going to cause us delay. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I've, I've, I've really noticed. And, you know, the other thing that I would is going back to the flexibility and scalability. Um, one of the things that we've built into our crisis management team is flexibility by kind of design, if you will, um, not only in our plans, but actually how we set up our team. So we, we, we look at it as a core and an extended team. Yes. So the core team has your business functions that you're going to need every time. doesn't matter yeah. what incident is, right. you're, you're going to need them. Um, you know, that's your legal, that's your HR, that's your comms. Um, All of those people, BCDR. Um, But then you have an extended team of subject matter experts, Um, and especially in the technology companies where you have so many products and services and all these things, you can't account for everyone and you're going to need that. And you're going to need that kind of bench, right, to to go to and be able to pull them in and say, hey, we're dealing with this type of incident. You know this product. You know these services. What's the impact here? What are the things? And I think that makes it a lot easier for us to deal with um, different things that are coming in. And, um, you know, I think the last thing I would say is to answer the second part of your question is really is like 
investing in the post-incident review process or the lessons learned after action review process, hot wash, you know, all the different terms that people use for the same process. These ones, often people, especially at companies, technology companies in my, you know, at least in my experience, where you have dozens of engineering incidents, cybersecurity threats, incidents that you're dealing with, it becomes, it views as a burden and not an opportunity. And I think that's a culture thing where, Having a standardized process, roles and responsibilities, defined expectations, deliverables is all key because during a major incident, you know, for example, we often take the angle of a holistic angle to this, right? Because oftentimes there's like a technical PIR, uh, post-incident review process, and then what we call a management PIR process. So you have the technical one, which focuses on the nuts and bolts of five whys of why did this occur? you know, um, you know, root cause analysis, right. Sure. To fix that problem. But there's also a larger one about how we responded as a company. Sure. Did we have the right resources in play. Did we have the right people? So we often do surveys of our response team members, all of them to get their feedback, one-on-one interviews, and then write a detailed report that we can use for corrective actions yeah. um, moving forward. And I, I think that's really critical to the entire thing is developing that as a culture within your organization. Yeah, I think I love that, Tim. Um, it's something that we um, often don't see, and we often, you know, kind of, um, you know, prod a little bit deeper. And and it's really does come down to process, but also built into the DNA as well. You know, going back to pre-incidents, I think we we went into a customer last year, and you know, they'd had a number of near misses, if you will, whatever you want to call them. And and we said, well, what what did we learn from it then? Let's dig a little bit deeper. And they scrambled and they pulled documents together, and they you know were able to pull people that were involved six months ago who try to remember and anyway so they tried to make some sense um of what went on uh, and again you know we we just said look just come up with a process come up with a defined you know you can, can start off simple right you know and build and build it build it from there but you're really you know you know you're losing out on an opportunity like you mentioned there so um that's great to hear that uh, that you have that process uh and again it's not it's not always perfect right because no, and, and you're and you're always we're always kind of you know tweaking and, and refining it and but um um, the fact that you've got that built into the program uh, is commendable. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so that, uh, kind of you know, moving towards the end here, um, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Um, you know, technology, uh, obviously the complex environment and how we're interconnected nowadays. Um, but the role of the incident commander, or the incident you know commander, as I <laughs> I see, it, or the incident manager, the crisis coordinator, whatever whatever you want to uh, term the the role, critical role, of course, uh, that we're seeing now as being a standard role within you know most organisations now. If they don't have one, then someone's double hatting or wearing multiple hats. But it's a critical role. But where do you see it going in terms of the future? Um, and what lies ahead for the incident manager? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, this is something that's been on the top of mind, especially with the generative AI talk, you know, yeah, all right. over the place with ChatGPT and Google's Bard and what its effects going to be on every, literally every industry, it seems like everyone's talking about what it's going to be the impact. Right. You know, I think there's a lot of, I, I look at it as a double-edged sword, right? These new emerging technologies, machine learning, add all of these into kind of one bucket. And it's a double-edged sword. From one perspective, right, there's a lot of things you can look at as an incident manager and be like, Hey, wow, that's going to allow me to, you know, counter threats because I'm going to be able to get information quicker. I'm going to be able to use AI models um, to be able to get intelligence, open source intelligence, and bring it all in and be able to make better analyses and understand my threats and vulnerabilities. Um, but as the other side of it is, 
there's a ton of risks emanating from this, right? For, you know, just to throw out some, you know, examples of like, you know, we're seeing a proliferation right now of AI generated um, uh, hoax calls, bomb threats, yep. right? They're going to schools and hospitals and things like that. The fact that a kid, you know, uh, you know, what they refer to in cybersecurity as like a script kitty who can just take this, you know, script that he finds with regards to use of a generative AI voice and send it out to hundreds of schools. I yep. mean, that can cause a major incident or businesses uh, yep. or, you know, I saw the other day, another example, you know, when I was in the travel risk management space, we always worried about virtual kidnappings, sure. where someone, you know, where someone would say that they've been kidnapped and contact their family. Well, they can use AI generation to pretend to be, you know, your daughter, your son or somebody like that, that they've been kidnapped and get scam you that way. Yep. Um, so I think the biggest thing and, and how it relates to incident managers, I think that the overall increase of risks and the threats from this are going to lead to incidents. Right. Um, you know, if it's you know if it's using the AI in your infrastructure and your engineering, it's gonna there's gonna cause incidents from it because you're using yeah. a new technology and how is it gonna work? Yep. Cybersecurity using AI generated malware could get past your defenses, cause incidents. I think it's showing us that having incident management is going to be invaluable because you have to respond quickly and mitigate the impact. Because yep. assuming that you're not gonna have something you know. And putting your head in the sand is not a strategy. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, hope is not a strategy, as they say, right? Right. Um, so you have to be prepared. And I think having a robust incident management team is really, really important for me for that. And I think the biggest thing I would say to and to people who are going into incident management or in it right now is that, you know, technology is not something to be scared of. Um, it's not something that you should, you know, especially if you come from a physical security background, you know, things like that. Like, you know, I don't get involved in the cyber, even if you're bifurcated, they're increasingly coming together. Right. You, know, you can't look at one without the other. I just use that example of like the AI generated, you know, bomb, bomb hoax or something like that. And I think there's a real opportunity for incident managers to want to get ahead in the field by investing in time and resources in the leading into leaning into these topics, right? So go and talk to your engineering teams, talk to your cybersecurity incident response teams, understand your infrastructure better. And also if you want to, you know, there's plenty of certifications out there, you know, CompTIA is, a, is a, an organization that does great cybersecurity certifications and gives you great baseline knowledge you can get. There's yeah. also um, IT management um, certifications that give you an understanding of like IT services and how they're provided. So I think, you know, it's, it's a, you know, these, these new technologies present a lot of risks, but as they're implemented and all of our industries are increasingly interconnected because of supply chains, yeah. right? It's imperative for us as an industry to all kind of lean into this and learn more about this because we're all going to be potentially affected by it and to, to kind of, um, you know, take advantage of the time we have now where it's an emergency technology to get a better hold of it. And then we can be better prepared to respond to incidents related to it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's just fascinating to kind of watch this play out. And uh, and we've been, you know, putting our hands into chat GPT as well, just to see what's going on. And, and uh, you know, again, some of the some of the skills that, um, you know, you, you may have um, used before in terms of, you know, the content creation or just analysis and, you know, some good stuff going on. But I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. There's there's um, there's a tremendous amount of risk that's uh, being presented and we're not even seeing, um, you know, the start of it yet. And uh, the creative ways that uh, humans, you know, <laughs> get involved in these technologies and use them, you know, for good, bad or indifferent are, um, you know, only time will tell where, where that goes. But uh, fascinating to see 
see unfold. Okay, Tim, we're going to wrap up as we always do on the PreparedX podcast here. Uh, could you share a story with us about an exercise that you've been involved with? Uh, you know, it could be a funny story, a serious one, both, or whatever you choose. But uh, we'd love to hear a story from an exercise. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, this is one of the things I love about being in our space is the ability to run exercises. Yep. Um, and oftentimes, you know, incidents sometimes take away from that, but uh, um, yeah. I really <laughs> truly enjoy running exercises, <clears throat> being involved in them. Um, I think one of the ones that comes into mind is that uh, a few years ago, um, I was involved in a full scale, no notice uh, exercise uh, regarding a cybersecurity incident. Um, and as you know, Rob, like these type of full scale exercises, they take lots of time and effort yep. to prepare months yep. um, preparing for these. And it was interesting because it was right around the time that um, I don't know if you're a fan of it. Ted Lasso was coming out on Apple oh, TV. Right. Yeah. So um, so we um, we at the time uh, loved Ted Lasso and we're talking about it. And our exercising planning team decided to, to gamify the planning process by basing it off of Ted Lasso. So we <laughs> used code names associated with the characters. We actually oriented the phases of the exercise around a soccer match. So, for example, instead of phases, we used different periods. So we had the, the kickoff, first half, halftime, second half, extra periods, penalty kicks. Yep. Um, so, you know, those, those were in the know were the, were the coaches. And other, you know, we other injects that we put into the scenario, we defined as penalties. Yep. Um, and it made it really enjoyable uh, for the exercise team, but it also provided a unique way of like organizing the details and aspects of the exercise. And due to the fact that it was a no notice exercise and 99% of the people did not know it was an exercise until the end, <laughs> laying it like a, out like a soccer match also in that those periods, we had to put significant guardrails on the exercise, right? Because you don't want people taking real world actions, sure, real world yeah. consequences. Yeah. So you put guardrails and we had those strategically set up to bring people into the know um, at the end of those periods, you know, when there's before new inject came in. Um, so it was really fascinating. And it was, you know, it was one of those things where, um, you know, it was an amazing, amazing experience. It went really well. Um, it's probably one of those things we won't ever get to do again, but um, it's it was an awesome experience. And uh, pe people learned a lot about it and it, it really made the planning process a lot more fun by being right. that new yeah. inject kind of your own uh your own little bit of levity into it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, I, I certainly like that approach. Yeah, I can, I can envision now, <clears throat> be it a movie, a famous movie from the past, or you know, some other um, television show where we can again, you know, have a have a little bit of fun with it as well, right? Because uh, of course, we're it's often a serious topic that uh, that we're covering. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, appreciate your time today, Tim. If any of the listeners uh, want to get a hold of you, can they? I mean, you're on LinkedIn. I, I'm sure they can connect with you there. We'll add your your link to your bio in the LinkedIn bio in the show notes here. But uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best. Um, you know, I love okay. LinkedIn. I love uh, being part of the, the the community here on LinkedIn and and engaging with other professionals in the industry. And I'm, uh, you know. I'm hopefully uh, going to try to make it to the ICMC. It was a great conference, and uh, I really enjoyed the, my time there last year, and uh, hopefully I can make it work this year as well. Great. Well, we'd be love, love to see you again um, up in June, June uh, 6th and 7th, I believe. So, yeah. But, again, thank you for your time today, uh, Tim. We really appreciate it, and uh, have a nice weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. Appreciate it. No problem. Well, that wraps up episode 118 of our podcast series. We encourage you to rate us on iTunes or any of the other outlets where you may be listening to this today. Until next time, have a safe and productive day. Thank you. Thank you.